Amen. Now this, uh, I've been talking for a couple of weeks now, you know, kind of leading up to this week and how this is a difficult subject. And it's difficult for a couple reasons. Um, one, it's difficult because a lot of it can be misunderstood in the Word of God. So it's, so it's difficult to really convey without an intense Bible study some of the intricacies of this. But the main reason why it's difficult is because it's hard to receive. It's hard to receive as a believer in Jesus Christ because it brings conviction. It brings the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives that then brings change. So there's a lot of warfare against this message. You used to hear this message a lot more years and years ago. But that's tailed off because we've come into an age where it's more popular to stay positive. (laughs) However... Where I come to the place in this is what's more important, right here and now, or eternity? And there's no comparison. So what we're talking about today is, is continuing on this series, this all-in series, which is our theme for this year, being all-in with Jesus Christ, being all-in our walk with Him, being all-in in this life. And remember, we started talking out about the first week, two weeks really, we talked about being lukewarm and what that meant and how that applies to so many Christians about being lukewarm. We are not on fire for God, but yet we say we follow God, being lukewarm. And and what was Christ's reaction to that? He wanted to spit lukewarm out of his mouth. It had no benefit to him. Then we talked about a spiritual covering and how that we are covered in authority. We are covered because of safety in a spiritual covering. That's what the church is about. That's what pastors are about. That's what in a family, that's, that's what the, the authority structure in a family is about, the Bible teaches. Then we talked about, Alexis preached about bitter waters made sweet. How oftentimes we are stuck in a bitter place. We don't even realize what's right there for us to grab. And then last week we talked about counting the cost. When we become Christians, when we're saved, there is a cost to that. And the thing that we pointed out last week is don't misunderstand the difference when the Bible talks about salvation It's talking about three points of salvation. And and if you weren't here, listen to that last week on the podcast. It's about justification. Okay, our justification is 100% because of Jesus Christ. That is his full grace. We did not do anything to be justified of our sin, except for accepting him. Believing in him, that he came as the Son of God, died on the cross for our sins, rose from the grave. We believed that and we asked him into our hearts. 
So we received his full grace. That was the first part of, of salvation. That wasn't the complete salvation. That was, if you will, our ticket to heaven. Okay? And what we talked about, remember, when we are saved, when we've asked Jesus Christ into our heart, we are then sealed by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee until we receive our inheritance. So if you did nothing else in your Christian walk from the point that you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you did nothing else, then you are still heaven-bound. There's nothing that you can do to lose that. That's what Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says. There's confidence in that. He doesn't look at us and say, how you doing today? Okay, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm leaving today. You're going to have to get resaved tomorrow. He doesn't say that. It's because the Holy Spirit is here because of the power of Jesus Christ, not because of our power, not because of our good. Okay, so when we accept Jesus Christ as Savior, don't ever let the enemy fool you. You cannot lose that salvation. You cannot lose your justification. Why? Because it had nothing to do with you. had nothing to do with you at all had everything to do with Jesus Christ. By the way, you can't even give it away. If you were to say to God a few years later, you know what, God, this just hasn't really worked out with me, you know, this relationship between us, and I just don't want to be saved anymore. I don't want to go to heaven. Well, I can't imagine anyone saying that. But even if you did, you can't give it away. Why? Because you had nothing to do with it outside of accepting him. And then when you accepted, you were sealed. You were sealed, and one of the biggest words in the Word of God, Ephesians 1.14, is until. We are sealed until the redemption, until we receive our inheritance. So the Holy Spirit is with us. He seals us. He, he gives us the, the possibility of an active life with Jesus Christ. Then the third part is our glorification. Now, there's something that happens between that, that second part, and that's what we've been talking about. This idea of sanctification that the Bible brings out. Because if this sanctification was not something that was required of us, or that Jesus Christ wanted in us, then why, once we accepted Jesus, what's the point of not living our life the way we want? We could. What would that do? That wouldn't do anything, right? If all it was was us accepting Jesus Christ as Savior, and then there was no penalty for anything else in our lives, then what's the point in living for him? Why can't we just live for ourselves? Now you could say, well, it's because of consequences here on earth. And that's what I said for years. Because yes, there are consequences here on earth for our sin. There are consequences for the choices that we made. But do you understand, you can make even good choices, even wise choices, and still not be in the will, will of God. Okay, you can make choices in your life that are through your will and not his. So why is this important? That's what we're talking about. I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 3, verse 21. 
Revelation 3.21, and I, I want to I mention again, I've mentioned this every week, especially in this series, please. You have a message note section in your bulletin, this blank page. I ask you to write down the references. If nothing else, at least the references. So go back throughout this week and prove out what I'm saying to you. That's a challenge to you. Prove out what I am saying to you. Even you online, prove out what I am saying to you. Acts 17.11 commands that you do that, that you prove out. And I say that because it's not going to be real in your hearts unless you do. The Word of God has to become a part of you. It can't just be something you receive. So I want you to write down these references and this week prove them out. So begin with Revelation 3, verse 21. It says this, and this is to the church of Laodicea. This is the seven churches that were written. They were seven actual churches in in, uh, John's day. But they also represent all the types of churches that we see now. Okay? Verse 21 says this. To the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. That's easy to read past and not really soak in. Okay, but soak that in for a second. What did he just say? He said, to those who conquer, I will let sit on my throne just as I am on my Father's throne right now. Do you realize when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, the Father did a couple things. One, he raised his name above all names. Two, he gave him all power, all authority. And then he let him sit on his throne at his right hand. As we worship Jesus Christ right now, Jesus Christ was raised as a man. Jesus Christ still is a man, being fully man, fully God, and he sits at the right hand of the Father. He sits at the right hand of God the Father. Right now, as as I'm preaching these words, he is at the right hand of the Father, and all that authority is his. So he says in this verse, to those who conquer, I'll do the same for you. We're going to read later that we become joint heirs with him. There is a authority given when we conquer. I want to point out the fact, though, that doesn't say to everybody. It doesn't say, if you've accepted Jesus Christ, I'm going to let you sit on my throne. It doesn't say that. He quantifies that statement. How does he do that? He says, to those who conquer. Now, don't be fooled into thinking that that is justification. Because, see, there is nothing you did to become justified. There is nothing you conquered to accept Jesus Christ into your heart. That is the grace message, and Jesus did it 100% by grace, you are saved. Not of works, lest any man should boast. So if we're not saved by our works, then that's got nothing to do with conquering because, see, we didn't conquer anything. And I think as we begin to unfold this, you're going to see that there is an expectation in our sanctification that leads to this conquering. 
So there's something out there. One day when we're standing before Jesus Christ at the Bema Seat of Christ, if you're saved, you're standing before the judgment seat of Christ. There is the hope, there is the goal, there is the possibility of sitting on the throne with Jesus Christ. That's huge. Think about that. That's huge. Now, first of all, I want to point out, this is speaking of the millennium. Some of you may not know what that is. Let me give you just a real, real brief synopsis of of future events. Okay, At some point, Jesus Christ comes to take his church home. Okay, Revelation chapter 4. He will come and take his church home. Those who are saved, those who are the believing body of Jesus Christ, he will take them up to be with him in heaven. At that point, this world will go through a pretty serious change. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is taken out. Because the Holy Spirit abides in us. The Holy Spirit is taken out of the world. The enemy, who's the prince in the power of the air, Satan, is given full reign at that point. Now, I don't know how many years. I I am a believer that the rapture will happen before the tribulation. I think think the, the scriptures teach that. I think it's pretty clear in that. Some would argue that it would be midway. Okay, some would say it'd be after. I think they're very confused. (laughs) But what happens between the rapture, and there may be some years until the tribulation, but then you have a seven-year period that's very specific. In fact, the Bible is so specific about that seven-year period, it breaks it down to the very day. And it breaks it into two halves. You have the first half, which is a half of peace. Then you have the second half that is called the Great Tribulation. That is what most of us think of when we hear the word tribulation, okay? where, where God begins to judge the earth. Okay? And he, he judges them for the sake of the Jewish people, for the sake of his called people. Okay? Then after this, while, while this is going on, we're up in heaven, right? Okay, we go through what's called the Bema Seat of Christ. This is the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to read about this here in a minute. We will stand before the Lord in judgment. You say, wait a second, my sins are already forgiven. My sins are gone. This is a different judgment. You have to understand that. We as Christians will be judged. We're going to go through the scripture on this, because I don't want you to just believe what I'm saying. We will go through a judgment as Christians. Then at some point, at the end of the the seven-year period, the tribulation, Jesus Christ will come with his angels and his saints. We will come down to this earth. Jesus Christ then will establish his earthly kingdom, just like the Jews thought he was going to do 2,000 years ago. That's why they put him on the cross, because he didn't. They thought, you know, they're under Roman rule, Roman oppression, and they're thinking... He's coming, the Messiah is coming to release us from Roman rule. Release us as a nation. Bring us back to this earthly kingdom and he will sit on the throne. See, but Jesus Christ, what they didn't understand is he came down to establish his heavenly kingdom and give us the possibility to be a part of it. 
Now, at the end of the tribulation, though, he will come back. He will establish his earthly kingdom right here on earth. A couple things are going to happen at that point. When he establishes his earthly kingdom, first of all, Satan is bound. All his helpers, minions, whatever, they are all bound for a thousand years. Okay? They're put away so they have no more effect on the earth for a thousand years. The curse that's on the earth right now will be lifted. This thing called entropy, this thing where everything tends toward decay, that curse will be lifted. That was put in place in Genesis 3, and it's going to be lifted in the thousand-year reign. So for a thousand years, Jesus Christ will be on the physical throne of David in Jerusalem. That's the millennial kingdom. We're going to get into that a little bit more. Ezekiel has a vision of this millennial temple that will be set up. We'll get into that a little bit. But you have to remember, and then, by the way, let me continue with that. At the end of the thousand years, Satan is loosed for a time. Then there is a final sea. Christ takes care of him and all his followers, and they are cast into the outer darkness, never to be remembered again. There is, at that time, there is the great white throne judgment, which is the judgment of those who do not accept Jesus Christ as Savior. Okay, And there is another judgment in there between the sheep and the goats you don't need to worry about. That's for those who are in the tribulation. Okay, But then at the very end, after the great white throne judgment, then you have eternity after that. The Bible really says very little about eternity after the thousand-year reign, after the great white throne judgment has a lot to say about the thousand-year reign, about the millennial kingdom, this thousand-year reign of Christ here on earth, and this is what we're talking about. So Jesus came and made it so easy for us to have access to him eternally. I want you to get this. Through accepting him, he made it so easy to have access. Okay, however, what was his goal? What was his goal in creating us? His goal was love. His goal was fellowship. His goal was being together, right? It was fellowship and love. I want you to turn to John chapter 14. Because if that's his goal, John chapter 14 verse 15, if love and fellowship is his goal, can we attain that by just our justification? accepting him for what he did for us on the cross. Let's read John chapter 14, verses 15 to 28. If you're writing it down, John 14, 15 to 28, say this. <clears throat> if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Okay, Jesus is teaching his disciples. He's talking to the disciples here. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. This is the Holy Spirit. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. 
I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am, the, I am in the, my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Holy Spirit, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said. Skip down to 29. And, I to- and now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe I will no longer talk much with you. The ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father commanded me. Three times in that passage, Jesus said what? If you love me, you do my commandments. If you love me, you'll listen to me. If you love me, you'll obey me. If Jesus Christ came here for love and fellowship, and yet he can only receive love, through our interaction with him, through our loving him, then there's a problem there when we don't. When we don't follow Jesus Christ, we break that fellowship. It doesn't affect our ticket to heaven. It doesn't affect our destination. But it affects our, our relationship, our, our fellowship with Jesus Christ. He said, if you love me, you obey me. So what happens if we don't obey him? We're not showing our love to him. We're not increasing our relationship with him. Which, as we're going to read further, is our sanctification. That is the process. I think I said last week, how come when we accept Jesus Christ, why doesn't he just take us right then? Why doesn't he say, amen, there's another one, boop, you're right up there. Because, see, that's not real love. We're getting what he gives us, but what he created us for was fellowship and love. If he forced his love on us, it wouldn't be real love. If he said that you will only be saved if you love me, you will only be justified if you love me, then that would all be based on works, wouldn't it? But see, no, he came and he gave us this free gift. He gave us this gift of eternal life. But in expectation of that, he expects love and fellowship. See, he didn't die. He didn't even create us without the expectation of that love and fellowship. That's why we were created. And it's not us just giving it to him. It's him growing and giving it to us. 
That's why it's a relationship. You've heard it's a relationship, not religion, right? Our sanctification is relationship. It is that time from the second we accept Him as Savior to the second we breathe our last breath. That is our time of sanctification. When we go before the Lord in judgment, it is that period of time as saved people that we will be judged for. Even as Christians, we will give an account for our lives. Not just the world. Not just those who did not accept Him. We all know they'll be judged. Right? We know that at the great white throne judgment, they're going to walk up and they are going to be judged for the for the. The, the very works that they thought they did. And I won't, I won't get into that. That's a different study. But they'll be judged to their own standards and fail. That's the world. That's those who don't know him as Savior. What about those of us who do know him as Savior? See, we will also go through judgment. We will also stand before the Lord about our walk with Him, about our relationship with Him. What did we do with that? I want to turn to Romans chapter 14. We will all give account for our works. If you're writing this down, Romans chapter 14, verses 10 to 12. Romans 14, 10 to 12 say this. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Now keep in mind that, that Paul is writing to Christians here. Okay, why do you pass judgment upon your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Nobody will escape that. Hopefully, you have accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, and your judgment time will be different than the world's. But yet, there will still be judgment. We live for a righteous God. And because of Jesus Christ, the righteous Father can look at us because of Jesus Christ's death on the cross. He cloaked us with his blood so the Father can look at us. But we can't have fellowship with him by continuing in known sin. And I know that's tough to hear because isn't God good? Isn't God just all about love? Isn't God just about all the positive things in life? Isn't God all about just giving you all the good things in life? If you've ever been a parent, you know that's not true. See, because a parent looks at their child and they see what's down the road. They don't look at them for that day. They see what's down the road and they see choices that they make and they try to guide them in a way that it are healthy choices for later on down the road. That's what Jesus Christ does with us every day in our life. He tries to show us, see, because He sees eternity. He sees the millennial kingdom. He sees what we have in store if we follow Him. 
And that's how he begins to teach us. So then there's a cost in following him. When we say yes to Jesus Christ, there is a cost in following him. We talked about that a little bit last week. Romans chapter 14, verse 10, I'm sorry, turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, and we talked about this, touched on this last week. Matthew 16, verses 14 to 27, say this. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his own soul? For what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then, which we talked about before, and second part of verse 27, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Not just judgment on the world, but he will repay each person, each saved person, each person who has accepted Jesus Christ into their heart, he will repay according to what? According to what that person has done, not what Jesus Christ has done. That part was taken care of when we accepted him as our Savior. But according to what he has done, that person. So we will each be repaid according to what we have done. I want you to notice here, this is written to Christians. This isn't written to the world, and, and only the world's going to pay for what they did. This is written to Christians. We will be involved in a different judgment, but nevertheless, we will be involved in judgment. I want you to turn to another passage. We're going to use a lot of scripture here. As I promised you, this is, this is what the scripture really begins to bring together. Turn to Matthew chapter 25. Now in Matthew, at this point, Jesus is, you know, he's been talking about the end times. Okay, if you begin reading the few chapters before, Jesus Christ is talking about the end times, telling his disciples what's going to happen. And as he did all throughout his ministry, he would also use parables to explain things. Marriage Supper, Supper of the Lamb is one of those. Very interesting study as to what that is and what really happens in that. That's something that will happen when the tribulation is going here on earth. We will be up in heaven, and that is one of the things that will happen up in heaven. But this parable, parable of the talents, this is explain, Jesus is using this story to explain the differences between believers. Okay, those who are his servants, we're talking about believers here, those who are his servants, that he goes away as Jesus Christ rose from the grave and ascended into heaven. He went away. He left the job of caring for his church with us. Right? You notice the Holy Spirit doesn't just come down and do things on his own. 
The Holy Spirit was sent to work through us. He will only work through those who are willing to be worked through. So that's why Jesus set up this parable to say, when I left, I left, or, well, at this point he hadn't left yet, but he's saying, when I leave, I leave this in your care. I leave the church in your care. So that's the setup for this parable. Verse 14 of Matthew 25 says this, For it will be, and the word it there is talking about the kingdom of God, okay? The coming kingdom of God. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. As I just said, Jesus Christ. To one he gave five talents. This is a piece of money back then. To another two. To another one. To each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Verse 20, And he who had received five talents came forward, bringing five talents more saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. Verse 22, And he also had two, who had two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of the master. Okay, I want to point something out before we go on there. For these two servants, they were given talents, they were given money, they were given something to work with according to their ability. Okay, they weren't equal. They, they, this person was given a certain amount. This person was given a different amount. Okay? But yet, look at their reward. Their reward was equal. So it wasn't about the fact that the person with five talents produced more than the other person. It was about the obedience. It was about the, the fact that they did the best with what they had. They fully committed it to growing for their master. So understand that in this world, we are given different talents. Not in this case, money. <laughs> okay, we're given different abilities. We're given different things that Jesus Christ wants to use. If we were all given the same thing, it wouldn't operate very good. The church would not have what it needs. We're all given different abilities and for the fact that we are supposed to work together. All of us have the same opportunity for the same reward. By the way, even the person in the bush of Africa that doesn't know Jesus Christ, the whole village doesn't know Jesus Christ, they get saved, they may have very little opportunity in their life to know what we know. They may have very little opportunity in their life 
to develop all of the things that we can develop as a church. But yet they have the same exact opportunity that we do. Why? Because it's about relationship. It's about getting to know Jesus Christ. It's about letting him work in your life and getting to know him. So they all, in this parable, they had the same reward. I want to, want to make sure that's clear. Verse 24, he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. Okay, what that means there is, I knew you to have great expectation. Expectation of increase where there's nothing. Okay, high expectation. Now, as we read this, compare this to Jesus Christ. He has great expectation. Okay? Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. I want you to notice there too, it wasn't that he said, I want to live my own life. So just as I'm reading this, the Holy Spirit's laying on me. This is, this is also about fear. It's not just about being belligerent and saying, I won't live for you. It's about being afraid to live for you. Being so consumed with self, within fear, within whatever you have going on inside you, that you can't release that in your relationship with him. Verse 26, but his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was mine, my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given more. And he will have abundance. But from the one who is not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, that's where a lot of theologians take a wrong path. A lot of people that read this and assume that's talking about heaven and hell. But it's not. Jesus Christ is giving a picture of the millennial kingdom here. He is giving us a picture of his reign on earth. This is the kingdom of God, is what he's been dealing with for the last couple chapters. Talking about the end, talking about the kingdom of God. So I, I, I want to point out that it's about believers that he's talking about here. So when he talks about being cast into the outer darkness, he talks about where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. I know people will say, well, wait a second, there are no tears in heaven. Uh, remember, all tears will be wiped away, and, and 
We won't remember it anymore. There won't be any more bad thoughts or anything else. See, that's why you've got to get the timing of the future events down. Because that is after the millennium. That is after the great white throne judgment. We will not remember any longer what happens there. When people we know and love will be sent to hell. That's when every tear is wiped. That's when the memories of those tears are gone. But there's a thousand year period on earth where we will understand what that judgment is. Even as Christians, we will understand that there is a cost to how we live our life. This sanctification process. See, because Jesus Christ died for our love, he expects our love. And for you to spend eternity with him, he will get that love. It will either be done in faith, or it will be done in time. But either way, that sanctification process has to happen. When we don't spend our time building our relationship with Jesus Christ here on earth, then we will be cast out into that outer darkness. Now, when, when you read that, you think, wait a second, but Jesus Christ, you know, there's, there's no darkness in heaven, right? And there isn't. So how, how, in the, how does that apply to us? You have to understand the original Greek there. And the original Greek is less dark. Or, I'm sorry, less light. It's not a place of darkness. It is a place of proximity further away from Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus Christ is not omnipresent. Jesus Christ is a man who will sit on the throne of David. Fully God, fully man. He is one place, one time. That's one of the things he gave up when he came and died on the cross for our sin. So the proximity to him, if Jesus Christ is light, which is, he will be the only light in the millennium, the proximity to him is that gauge of light. That's what it's talking about here. Being cast into the less light. Your placement to Jesus Christ in the millennium will be further from where he is. Some who conquer will be able to be on his throne with him. They will be joint heirs with him on his throne in the millennial temple. But then some who did not build a relationship with him here on earth, who did not love him, because remember it said, we read it three times, to love him is to obey his commandments. Those who did not show love toward him and build that relationship in him, still have to go through that sanctification process. They still have to understand who he is and what he did on the cross for them and that he wants this interaction in our life. See, we can't have that without obedience. And, and it's not about this, this judgmental works relationship. 
It's not about a list of things now that, okay, let me pull out my list of 25 things that as long as I follow these, then, then my relationship with Jesus Christ is good. It's not about that because that's baloney. That's not a relationship. That's not even obedience in what he says. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but, but next week we're going to be talking about what it really means to be obedient. So it's not about, well, you know, I didn't lie at all today, so I was obedient today. No, that's an after effect. We don't lie because we have a relationship with Jesus. And we've learned in that relationship that he hurts when we lie. He hurts when we do sin. When we sin, it hurts our relationship with him. Why? Because he hurts. He hurts because he can't have fellowship with us. Because we can't have that closeness. Have you ever had a, a relationship so close and you did something that damaged that relationship? It hurt. It hurt you. But even more, it hurt the person you damaged. See, that's our relationship with Jesus Christ. When we don't obey Him, when we don't seek Him, when we don't spend time with Him, He hurts. That's the sanctification. It's that relationship that He shows us. So again, these servants who had a relationship with Him, they were given something at the Bema Seat of Christ. What was that? Let's look back. Verse 21, the, the second half, and, and, and this was for the first two servants. It says, you've been faithful in little. I will set you over much. What does that mean? Set me over what? I, I will be set over, you know, that's the millennial kingdom. In the millennial kingdom, it says that Christians... Those who conquer will be in a place of judgment over angels. We will judge angels. If you study more about the millennial kingdom of Christ, you'll understand that there are people born on the earth at that time. It's not just at the end of the, rapture, at the, end of the tribulation, everybody's killed, and now it's just the kingdom of God, and, and everything is all like heaven after that. That's not what it says. This millennial reign of Christ, all those people who survive the tribulation, and that comes up to that third judgment I was gonna, that I said I wasn't gonna talk about it, the goats and the sheep. Okay, those who survive the tribulation are separated into followers, non-followers. Okay, goats and sheep. But then there are people over a thousand year period that are born. These are still human, they don't they don't get their raptured bodies or, or their glorified bodies. For that thousand year period, there will be people born on the earth. Okay, people like you and I right now. Now, there won't be any sin influence in the world. Doesn't mean there won't be sin. Because Christ says he will rule with an iron fist. Why does he have to rule with an iron fist if there's no sin? It's because for that thousand-year period, you have the humans on earth, okay, which will be on earth as well. But you also have this period of sanctification 
for those who did not develop their relationship with Jesus Christ here. Those who got saved, who got justified, but then left it alone after that. And we're going to talk about, I I really would like to bring this up, and I, I don't have time today. Perhaps I'll do it next week, but but all these inferences of a difference in the kingdom of God between believers is very clear. What actually happens to them is unclear. We have a little bit of a picture of that when we look at Ezekiel's, you know, the vision of the, the temple for the thousand-year reign. We'll, we'll perhaps talk about it a little bit next week. But understand, and I'm, I'm going to go ahead and stop it here and we'll continue next week. Understand that there is a difference in the millennial kingdom of God, what we would consider heaven, the first heaven, okay? There's a difference between believers there. If there wasn't, it wouldn't be to those who conquer. It wouldn't be because you were a faithful servant, I put you over much. And next week we're going to look at some of the others, some of the other scripture that, that really validates this as well. So see, our time here on earth makes a difference. Your relationship with Jesus Christ right now makes all the difference in the world. It's not about works. It's not about being a good person. It's not about doing the the good list. It's about opening yourself up to relationship with Jesus Christ. That means focus. What are you focused on? As you live your life today, what are you focused on? Are you focused on your relationship with Christ? Are you understanding what he did for you and that's it? Or are you understanding what he does for you every day? Are you in communication with him? See, a relationship doesn't go anywhere without communication. Think about your best friend, or if you're married, that relationship. If you don't have communication within a marriage, it dissolves. It doesn't go anywhere. There's no depth to it. Same in a friendship. If you don't have communication, it doesn't go anywhere. It's really worthless at that point. It has no effect. So where are you at with your walk with Jesus Christ? Are you developing an intimacy with him in your relationship? Does it mean something to you? Because that's what he wants. He didn't just want to die on the cross for our sins just so we could all hang out in heaven and then him make us puppets up there. See, he didn't force us to accept him. He's certainly not going to force us to follow him. But he offers us a time here on earth to do it by faith. See, because we have to have that intimacy to have that relationship. So that's what he wants. Where are you at in your life with your relationship with Jesus Christ? Let's pray.